Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, once again, here with my good friend and co-host, Richard Harris. And today, we are joined by the co-founder and CEO of Win. that's with two N's, win.ai, my man, Eldad Postin Corin. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. All good, all good. One AI, two N's, one AI. That's enough. That's it. Two N's, one AI. Tell everybody what want- Win. Is. No, you don't want too much AI. You know, it's, you know, eh, one AI. Yeah, well, you get too much AI and all of a sudden we're in like the Terminator movie or something like that. It gets a little scary. Tell, tell everybody tell everybody what win.ai is so they have a little bit of context for the arena that you sell into and that type of thing. So well, win.ai is a real-time AI assistant for salespeople. Um, so it's a new category in the world, in, in the sales tech, uh, where we believe that uh, salespeople need to have as much help as they can uh, in order to be the best they can. Um, so we help them to uh, make sure that they're covering the playbook, they take the notes, and they push everything to the CRM using our AI and, you know, seamlessly. Um, so this is WinAI all about. So talk to me a little bit about the amount of time wasted, if you will, by SDRs and sales reps by entering information into the CRM. And if you can't see my screen right now, if you're just listening in the background, I have a, a cool piece of, of, of swag that Eldad and his team sent me with a big finger. And it says, I hate updating the CRM. So try to quantify some of this time wasted if people have never thought about this before how much time is actually being wasted by reps by entering all this information so so the benchmark in the industry speaks about around one hour to two hours per day uh, for the manual work of the salespeople, uh, whether it's updating fields updating stages um follow-ups and things like that um so it takes you know it could take um one, one uh, third, or I don't know, uh, um, almost quarter of your day, uh, which is, you know, it's an extra day per week. Uh, that's a lot of time. It's, uh, and, and it's tedious and it's boring. And there's no one thing which is nice in filling out a CRM. And people like to do, they don't like to track what they do. And I think that's a humankind problem. It's not only sales. It's not that salespeople are lazy. People don't like to re- track what they do. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I, Scott, just out of curiosity, um, how long, how many hours a day do you spend updating your CRM? Yeah, zero, zero. Uh, <laughs> but this is because, to El Dad's point, I don't like tracking all of this kind of stuff. It's against my against my nature a little bit. So, but I, I want I want everybody to think for a second and do some of this math because El Dad said one to two hours a day. So let's just say it's two hours a day, five days in a week, ten hours a week four weeks in a month, that's 40 hours. So you just clawed back an entire week's worth of productivity if we True. just eliminated that. That's wild to think about. Absolutely wild to think about. What could you do if you had an extra week every single month in your selling month? What would I you do with an that? extra week. Yeah, you want the extra week. What would you yeah, do with an course. extra week, Richard, every single month? Um. Aside from probably harass you, um, I'd probably get my book out, right? Like that's the you know, my four-year gestational project. 
of getting that piece out. Uh, I'd be able to focus on some other initiatives that I have that are coming out. Um, spends more time with the family, which is never a bad thing. Um, and seriously, I, I, I would be able to spend more time with my friends like Scott, like I would, uh, you know. Yeah, so, so the same, the same is true for every salesperson or even sales leader or business owner out there, right? The yeah. point is you can do what you want with that time back. You want to prospect more? Great. You want to go play, you know, whatever sport you like to play or spend time with your family? Great. But instead, we're losing this time and losing this type of productivity. So it sounds so simple. Why has the industry ignored this for so long? So I don't think they ignore it. I think that this oh, is a well, well, well known so a problem. And by the way, this is part of the things that, you know, I, I love about what we do because the problem is simple and it's well known. And the, the reason why people didn't do real-time assistance so far, I think it comes from a, a two major reasons. For the first, the first part is technology. So the speech to text, once again, today is not perfect, but it, through COVID period, um, it became really, really, really better. Um, and that was a big barrier in order to be to do real-time assistance for salespeople. And the second part, and I think that great companies like Gong and Chorus and, and other uh, um, revenue intelligence or, or uh, uh, recording platforms that also do manipulation retrospectively after the call, I think that they brought to the industry, they educated the industry that AI is not something that you need to be afraid of. And I think that in this case, they opened the door for you know, the next generation tools like Queen AI um, to, to bring uh, that technology to the salespeople and not to be afraid of how technology can help us to be better sellers. Um, so I think that this is the, the two main reasons why our category, and we are not the only one in this category. I think that our category is now built on top of those categories. Yeah. I have a question for you. So why why do you think, I mean, I, I have an idea, but I want to hear from you. Why did COVID accelerate this? Um, and granted, look, Chorus and Gong and, and those things were there to agree, like 100% open the door, let us in, showed us that, oh my God, we're going to get, we now can actually get coached and be better and like all these amazing things. What was it about COVID though? Was it that more people were laid off so people had time to put into it? Was it the VCs started to realize, oh shit, this is now a really hot commodity because our teams are no longer in an office? Like, I'm just curious about that because I have never thought about it that, that COVID would have driven this level of creativity. So uh, I will give my perspective. Um, I sold to hospitals in the US. This is how I got into WinAI, by the way. I, I was the first salesperson in Israeli startup in the world of diabetes, where we sold a decision support system for endocrinologists in the US. And you know, that's very heavy field sales, you know, a two years sales cycle, um, you know, shaking hands with nurses and, and, and doctors and physicians and lecturing and giving them bagels and so on. Um, true bagels. Um, and I think that the moment that COVID hit us, we said, okay, hospitals in the, in the US were not, we were not allowed to get in anymore, but the business is up and running. So you need to shift. And 
and and the first we, you know covid was not uh, in one step you know it, it took it took a while i remember back in uh, february 2020 2020 uh i that was my last visit in the us back then um it, it you know we, we tried to we had, we started to understand that this is a big thing that's coming beginning it was a uh, china only and then it was the rest of the world but we understood that we need to adapt and we need to adapt using Zoom. And then Zoom or, or other video conferences became very common or, on, also for you know, field sales. And I think that that was the main, main reason why you know, Zoom and, and platforms like uh, uh, that became a, a common practice, not only for inside sales, but also for field sales. Uh, okay. So I think that that was the major change. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always been an inside salesperson. You know, I did like one year of of field sales back in the day. Being we called it a windshield warrior, driving around, and uh, you should try the bagels. Darby. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I hated it, and I hated it. So I appreciate you sharing that because my perspective is not that. As soon as you said, "Oh, field sales couldn't go do handshakes," I was like, "Oh, that's why." Okay, they moved to Zoom. We need to capture that data. So that. You know, just a connection I hadn't made, so I, I appreciate that. Um, as you as you do this, like, is there? Res Let me ask you this question. So you you build this new thing, right? The environment, the world created this moment, but it's a it's almost like a category creation, maybe a category extension kind of a thing. When you think about go-to-market strategy, what did you learn to teach to, to do this with your customers? Or were they actually kind of open to it based on what everybody was going through anyway? So I think that the first thing is uh, some people are suspicious because they say, okay, so you're going to take our you know, world in like this is, okay, you are framing this as a decision support system, but what actually you are building is a new kind of a rep, like automated rep. Um, uh, and, and to be very honest, I don't believe in this conspiracy because I believe that sales is not only about words. It's more about the EQ and saying the right word and, and understanding the other person. And I don't believe that at least during our lifetime, uh, computers will be able to do that. I think that computers should 100% take, you know, tedious things like, you know, writing notes. That's for sure. Let's let let me be an active listener during a conversation instead of, you know, dealing with the manual tasks. Um, so I think that that's one concern. And I think that take this concern uh, uh, another step. I think that when you bring new technology to the market, probably the one who will adopt it will be the early adopters. Um, so you have more techie, you have less techie. Um, so I think that's that's uh, two main uh, um, objections, uh, potential objections. Yeah. What advice would you give a founder who who is looking to, to do something um, and trying to get those first five to 10 customers, right? Like, you know, you, you came a little bit from the industry. It sounds like you had some level of connections to people, you know, aside from, hey, the VC will introduce me to five or 10 people. Like, what are the things a, a, founder, a new founder who's doing founder-led sales should think about going into getting those first five to 10 customers versus, you know, 25 to 50 customers? 
So I think that I have a very clear answer. Validate, validate, validate. Uh, before we, we initiated WinAI, we had more than 200 interviews with VP sales, account executives, RevOps, the different stakeholders in the industry. Um, and, and we validated the problem. We validated, and you know, it's a process. The ideation process is not A to Z. Is A to three, and then going back to D, and going back. So it's not linear. Um, the fact that we spoke with many, many, many potential customers um, made potential customers into real customers, um, made potential customers into angels. And so I think that the fact that we spoke with the industry and we were very connected to the industry um was a very very crucial component of our uh, journey so far do you find yourself still validating though like how many can you share how many customers you have right now where are you in the in the life cycle so we are now in the uh, beta users where i have uh, 10 beta users beta okay. users it's companies uh and we are heading towards the 30 by the end of this quarter Great. um the technology takes time. It's deep technology, so it takes time, and it's just up and running for three three months now. Um, and so it's the beginning. It's just yeah. the beginning. Of so course. how long? By the way, so this is the other part for founders who are listening or people who are thinking about going to start their thing. You said you had what two hundred conversations, right? How long did that take? Because that's a long. That feels like six months or a year of research. It took me, the, the part of the interviews was around two to three months, but I'm a very intense person. Um, so, uh, oh. you know. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. no, no, no. So. I was talking, you're talking about hundreds of hours, potentially. Right. Yes. If you talk to 200 people, each one for an hour, that's 200 hours just of the and conversation, then, let alone setting right, up the meetings, rescheduling the meetings, taking, you know, what the feedback was and putting it, you know, in the hands of the right people and all that kind of With stuff. With most of them, it wasn't just one conversation, by the way. Well, there you okay. go. Hundreds of hours. Okay. So yes. now in that, I'm ask the, the silly question because I don't know where, you know, if, the, if you'd already built the product. So I'm curious if you had already built part of the product to help you navigate these conversations to not only get the feedback, but figure out how the machine works. Is that, did, were you able to do that or were you, you didn't have the product built yet? No, so we are just in the last couple of months, we are dog feeding ourselves. And, and, and I think that it's funny because every time I say I built WinAI for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the world will use it, but I, I don't like updating the CRM and I, I'm, I'm enjoying using, you know, WinAI. That's, that's, a, that's a lot like Manny over at Outreach. Like he built this, he built Outreach because they were having a problem and then they pivoted yeah. because of it. Right. So so again, so it so and I really am I'm talking about this because I don't think people talk about it. So, you know, two hundred ish hours of just interviewing and talking to people. You know, I would assume it's you know two hundred more hours of gathering that data, organizing it in a way to then share with your team, right? So were you six months into, you know, this is what we, is this what we hear when we hear, well, it takes six months to get it started before we even build the product. Like, what's that like for people who've never done this before, who are thinking about it? So I didn't have a team. It was basically, some of the part of it was my, myself. 
in, in a room and part of it and part of that time was with my co-founder. Um, so in January 2021, I left my uh, role as the CEO of uh, the, the diabetes company. And um, I, I left with, you know, initial idea, uh, but with no salary, with nothing. And that, that was part of the, the adventure and it took me one year until we get to the point that we raised funds. How, how did you fucking survive that scare? Because like, like again, you know, how did you like, were you eating a lot of raw, you know, in America, it's a lot of ramen noodles, right? Like you had a lot of cocktails. Did you hear? Yeah. So <laughs> is there, you know, is that a scary thing? Like, again, and, and I'm going to stop in a minute, but I, I just like to dig in with this stuff because I don't think people hear it enough. And maybe there are even founders who are listening, feeling validated a little bit, too. Um, that leap, that's a bold leap going from a job to no job with an idea. And, you know, like Springsteen says, you know, I got four chords in the truth. You know, that's about it. Um, uh, and, and, and three girls. Uh, I have twins. They were one year old back then. Oh my God. All right, Scott. Could you? And a wife. She's a heart surgeon. <laughs> Your wife is? Yeah. Okay. So, so it wasn't a total income loss, but how did you? <laughs> that's, that's one way to, to look at, <laughs> at that. Uh, we have more problem of time rather than that. The money was, was, a, was a problem. Uh, but I think that uh, answering your question, I think that first, the fact that my wife was 100% supportive about that. And she was like, by the way, and many times along the way, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to quit this ideation phase and I'm going to find a new role. And she was like, Eldad, we said one year without salary and it's going to be one year without salary and then that's it. Um, so so we, she was very assertive because she was part of the decision about that. And I think that the second thing was based on the fact that she was partner for this decision, we, we made economic decisions about, you know, not buying uh, an apartment, not getting into big investments now. Um, so we had our reserves on, on the bank. So we were able to go to this journey together. Can you talk a little bit about the decision as you build what comes first, sales versus marketing? Hmm. I hear this debate all the time. So on my end, it was very a clear cut. It was sales. Um, till two months ago, I don't know if you visited our website. Highly recommend to do that because I think we create a very interesting brand. Uh, it's win.ai. It's not complicated. Um, but till two months ago, we didn't have website. We didn't have um, a, a logo. We didn't have brand with nothing. No, nothing. That the you know the logo was W from Word. I don't know something like ridiculous. Um, and that was intent because we we said we should focus on two only things. One is the product, the technology. And the second is put it on on the face of salespeople, in front of salespeople. And they should give us validation and make sure that we are on the right direction. Um, so on my end, it was very clear that sales, even though it was not sales back then, it was like more partnership and things like that. But sales comes first and, you know, product and then branding and messaging and website and social media comes after. Um, that that was my take 
but once again, it's my personal flavor. Scott, can you, Scott, can you believe a, a, a technology founder said that sales comes first? Well, I can because his, he, he was a salesperson. <laughs> and so he, and he built this tool for himself specifically. So yes, there's, a, there's an interesting thing. And I'm glad you mentioned the website thing or lack thereof. I have seen this three or four times in the last few months now where people are fairly far along and you try to go to their website and there's nothing there, but like one blank landing page or something like that, which I have not seen in years and years and years. And uh, you're, you're one of three or four uh, founders and companies I know now that are doing this. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's an interesting trend to, uh, to pay attention to. So as you go about even our to... landing page, even our landing page was ugly. Not... <laughs> well, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to rub it in too much. <laughs> so. As you move from, uh, you know, kind of beta testers, if you will, to trying to get paid clients right from the start and putting prospecting, you know, motions in place as well as an inbound sales process. What are some of the things that you're intending to do to get that stuff right that other companies get wrong? So we have a couple of things in mind. First, I think that one of the interesting things is in many companies, the one who is responsible, the, the person, the persona who is responsible for the tech stack is this RevOps. That's one end. And on the other end, they are responsible for updating the CRM. So it's a, you know, it's a good overlap for us because first they are responsible for the tech stack and second they are updating the CRM. So we are solving uh, this problem. So actually we are solving a problem for them. Um, so that's, that's one interesting angle. And I think that the second interesting angle, um, which is not very common in a, a tech stack, uh, tech, 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 uh, sales technology, sorry, is a PLG motion. And, and several companies, uh, try to do it um, with more success, less success. It's less common, in, for example, um, from uh, you know, development tools. Um, and we are planning to launch a, a PLG motion uh, next year. Um, so I think that approaching the salespeople themselves with, with Alexa for salespeople, with assistant for salespeople, solving their one of the most urgent problem. Uh, and then from them to, to grow to the leaders, I think that's uh, that. There's a uh, tons of potential there. Once again, people tried it and failed. People tried it and succeed less. Uh, but I think that um, this is one of the things that we we're gonna we're gonna try to do it. Um, we we need to be bold, right? Yeah. How do Go you? Ahead, yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm chatting behind the scenes with Scott, and you know my comment is <laughs> I just I but it, no, it, it's a compliment of like. You know, I love how you bring this amazing and so appreciative, at least for, for someone like Scott and myself, sales perspective to building the product and the company. And it's rare, um, you know, it, it, which is which is okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're talking to those founders who are very tech savvy, really smart. And they're good at the, the founder-led sales stuff. Like they're good at it, but what do they need to know about starting to go, you know, hiring that first head of sales, 
the ability to let go. Like, I know you haven't done that. In this instance, you haven't done that yet, but I know it's in your head. Like, I already know you well enough to know this about you from other conversations, but what is, what's the piece they need to understand because they so often get so frustrated once they start to go from founder-led sales to a more traditional sales model? So first, I, I would say, and I think that maybe it's it's taking for granted, but but for some founders, it's not. I think that many, you know, more techie founders are afraid of sales. And I think that the founder should bring the company to product market fit by his or her bare hands. And, and when I mean that, I think that doing demos and bringing the new, the first customers, I would say 20, 30 customers by your own hands, I think that it's more than sales. It's, it's product, it's marketing, it's everything. And I think that people who are afraid uh, uh, of doing this should be out of their comfort zone and do it. And this will really help on the second step, which is the question you asked. When you know the job, when you know to, how to sell your product, you will be able to train and you will be able to hire someone who will be able to do it well. If you didn't, if you never did it before, and if you, you're afraid of sales, it will be very, very hard for you to so here's, get here, it. Here's the challenge I see is that so many times the founder does get 10, 15, 20 customers, and they, they are moving to that next motion of like, okay, I need to go get a salesperson. And they can't let go, won't let go. Mm -hmm don't think anybody else is smart enough to know how to sell it. So the, the, the first VP of sales is out the door in eight to 15 months. Like, yes. what kind of advice do you have for, for people who are those founders looking at to see if they can maybe, and maybe they don't need to let go and, or maybe that VP of sales, if, if that, if I'm going to go take that job from, from Eldad, should I, what kind of questions do I need to ask a founder who's been doing founder-led sales and I'm that first sales leader? I think that, once again, I don't want to answer from a position of someone who did it on this company, but I think that it's very similar to finding a co-founder uh, to some extent, because you need to let off, as, uh, to let it go, as you mentioned. Um, and I think that spending physical time together, you know, Go go grab beer together and, and not just two calls on Zoom and, and spend actual time together. I think that's that's very crucial because VP sales is 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 a crucial position and you need to have a very high level of uh, confidence and trust with this person. So take it take look at that as adding an, another VP a, another founder another co-founder to the company. I think that that's the advice I will give to myself in a couple of months now. Yeah. So one of the things that a founder told me the other day is that they really need to ensure that this person is a strategic partner and not just somebody that um, is sitting around waiting to be told kind of what to do. It's not a doer, but also a thinker, a planner and a doer. All of those things kind of um, combined, you know, uh, just want to spend a moment here and thank some of our sponsors We've got Sendoso, we've got Scratchpad, we've got Outreach, and we've got MedRep Meeting. Check those companies out. They can help you as you move towards 2023. I had one more question for you, and then we'll pivot and let you ask a question of us. Sound good? 
Sounds good. Okay. How do you go about forecasting for the very first time when you have no data whatsoever that shows any of the conversion kind of metrics? I get this question all the time. I had a client ask me about it this morning. How do I know what to do? I've been in this seat before and, you know, it kind of feels like throwing a dart, you know, in, a, in, in darkness, right? How do you think about that? Oh, we're going to go to market. Here's what I think we're going to do. Actually, it's, it's, it's going in the dark. I 100% agree with you. And I think that till you have your machine up and running, it's really hard to predict and forecast. Um, and I think that the idea is to get the machine up and running as fast as you can. And, and while, do this, while doing this, you will understand, okay, I did 200 demos and I got only one customer. Okay, so the conversion rate is this and that. And then the, the idea is to get the, the, the machine up and running, like more demos, more demos, more demos, more, more calls, more design partnership, more. And, and to say that, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, that's a common uh, joke about VCs and entrepreneurs, like, you know, that, that there is one, on, only one right thing about business plan, which is they're all wrong. Um, so, you know, forecasting in this stage, I think that it's, it's, it's shooting in the dark. Um, so get get out of the dark as fast as you can. I think that that's the best advice I can give myself once again. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that a founder admitted that it's <laughs> shooting in the dark. Yeah, I'm, I, res- I'm, I'm I, respect I respect that a lot. I, I actually just said, look, here here's what I believe around this, and then we'll let Eldad do it. I'm sorry, but I'm going to rant um, that. Every forecast is 100% irrational. We look for things as humans to make us feel like it's rational, but that's not true. So, but, so we do, in some cases, look at historical stuff or we look at these numbers or we look at the current pipeline. I don't care what you do, it's irrational because unless you're getting it right every time, that's a challenge, you know, it's not happening. And I, and I love the fact that there are, there's some amazing tools out there, you know, boost ups on and clarity's one and, you know, that, that are helping us get better at it, but it's irrational. And as human beings, we always look for things to rationalize our decisions and create, as Scott likes to call them, you know, false belief systems sometimes, um, because that's all we got. Now that doesn't mean you can't do a forecast or you shouldn't do a forecast. You gotta, like it is, we're running a business. Um, but that's what I see is, is there's this constant irrationality. And then someone says, but see, it's on this piece of paper. So therefore you were wrong. And I'm kind of like, well, where the fuck were you when, you know, you didn't predict that a pandemic might hit us? Where the fuck were you when you didn't say, holy shit, you know what? In February of this year, 2022, we should expect we might hit a recession next year. What's our game plan for that if that happens? Like, like so that's the irrational. So that's how I feel about it. In, in the Bible, do it though. In the Bible, they said that the profit was given to stupid people. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> God, that just he just summed us up. Like, I think so. Him? I think that sums up our entire career right there. <laughs> how can we be helpful to you, Eldad? Any questions for Richard and I? I I have a question as a you know entrepreneur to um, you know 
for, to in, to uh, uh, experience VP cell CROs like you and and with like tons of experience in the market, I think that what would be the number one advice for bringing new technology to the market? How how you can educate the market as fast as you can, um, you know, and and create the adoption that you want to create. Fast. Yeah, a couple of things that come to mind for me. Sponsoring in, in, surf and sales events and podcasts is really, really an important one. Sorry. No, that out was that out loud? Was my microphone on? Yeah, he just he just wired you the money already. It just hit your, your yeah. Um number one, I think one of the things that we under underemphasize or underestimate, you've got to keep the messaging really simple. So when you go out there, if it takes people three or four reads to really understand what the heck you do, I think you've overcomplicated it a little bit. You don't have to show up and 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 have this aura about you of like, oh, I'm a you know Stanford genius or I'm a MIT you know engineer of the century. Like here's my fancy tech. Like a lot of people, you know, don't resonate with that. So simplify the messaging, make it clear in terms of what problems you solve and, and how you do it, but really try to keep the messaging simple. So that's one thing that came to mind. The next thing that comes to mind is, I don't think, and, and Richard was kind of joking, but also not joking saying like, hey, sponsor all this stuff. The, the way that brands are getting their, their name out there now is through ambassadorship, through evangelism, through community, through all the places that people hang out and utilizing uh, people with influence, right? I just wrote about this uh, the other day, but you know, people, their pages have more followers, more influence than other companies do. So somebody who goes to work for Win, if Richard and I went to work for Win. For the foreseeable future, we would become the brand. I don't mean that to like diminish what, what you're building over there, but like our following is such that we would be the brand for a period of time. So how many people can you associate yourself with who, you know, endorse, uh, you know, your company and your product, who talk about the problem and pains that you try to solve, who evangelize for you? who refer people and prospects in, who utilize an affiliate program that you have if you're you know, paying 10, 15% or something like that. Are you involved in communities and all these different Slack channels where all these conversations are happening all the time, Eldad? You know this. Every single day in some of my communities, people are like gong versus chorus, outreach or sales loft, lean data versus this, chili piper versus this, everything. And also... What new tech is out there that I should look for in 2023? Those conversations are happening all the time. You want to find prospects and deal flow and get the brand out there? Participate in all of these conversations where they're happening. Those I mean, are my, my two bullet points. Richard? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll just add on to that and just say that so much of this is free. I mean, the only thing that's going to cost you is time. Right. Um, but, and that doesn't mean you don't use traditional prospecting methods, but I think particularly in the stages where you're at, the other, you know, the early stage go to market, PLG phases, 
you know, you got to get it in front of people, right? And and to your point, you know, you came from medical sales, right? Medical sales was all about showing up and bringing the donuts and the bagels to try and show the doctor something. This is the same thing. You can actually just do it at scale. Um, and there are various levels of this, right? There's doing it yourself, you know, doing it on LinkedIn, doing it on Twitter, doing it on TikTok, doing it in, you know, Thursday night sales, modern sales pros, like all those kinds of things. And, and I think that's really cool. And the one key piece <clears throat> that I think is really important, and I can't remember if Scott said it, which is <clears throat> you got to give away advice for free. And it doesn't even have to be about AI and what you do. It's, you know, it's kind of why I'm asking all these founder questions because people don't, not enough people know it, right? And, you know, I, I think you're recording this. You can go take this and create some stuff and say, you know, Richard and Scott asked me this question. Here it is for other founders. And that builds your brand, which then builds your company brand. Um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll piggyback off Scott on, which was your messaging. And I talk about this all the time is that, you know, you have to paint a picture of pain for people to understand what you solve. Nobody cares what you do. Nobody cares that you've got a massively, amazingly efficient and effective way to update the CRM. But as soon as you say, you know, I love inputting information into my CRM, said no salesperson ever, every, anybody in business knows exactly what that is. Right. People ask me what I do. It's like, well, I'm not really a sales trainer. I teach reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Right. What does Scott do? Still trying to figure out. But my my belief is that you know, Scott helps accelerate the growth of startups so that they don't make the pitfalls and hit all the potholes that he's done himself or seen others do. And everybody can get a picture of pain from those things. And that to me is the message along with giving away free advice. So that's my long second um, time. 100%. First of all, thank you for that. And I'm really happy that our uh, WinAI assistant is participating in this call. So I have all of your great advices uh, taken. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I'm using Otter. I'll send you my Otter and you can analyze it. See, what, see how it works. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. No, like it's really. I I really appreciate it, and I think uh, that I'm I'm trying to be not the smartest person in the room. Um, that's that's my motto, uh, and I think that those kind of uh, you know uh, lesson learned from other people are are amazing for entrepreneurs and could be great shortcuts. You should preach the hell out of that because so many founders do feel like they need to be the smartest person in the room. And it's not, it's not a mean thing. It's it's that's just how they're wired, and I get it. Like, and they are smart. They often are, but the fact very that easy, very easy for us because we have no chance of being the smartest person in the room. I, I know what I don't know. Yeah, I think that's that's the beginning. Yeah, cool, man. Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much, man. This is thanks thank for you, guys. dig in on all this and folks. You know. Obviously, how do you want people to get a hold of you? You want to give out a cell phone number, your WhatsApp? You want to give out an email, LinkedIn? Um, Eldad at WinAI. That's amazing. With two ends. And um, I'm on social media, like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Skype. No, I'm joking. No, but I'm, I'm very accessible. So uh, ask, and then um, I would love to speak with uh, everyone. Cool. All right.
Thanks, Eldad. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.